welcome to this week's Book Squad Goals. Yay! This week we're talking about Stephen King's It, the book, the miniseries from 1990, and also the 2017 adaptation. Um, we also have a special guest this week. You may know him. You don't know me. Ben! Ben. It's Ben. It's Ben. You don't know me. Previously from Ask a Man, <laughs> Ben is here this week because he is a Stephen King fan and has seen it more than once, which is more than I am doing. And also because uh, we are missing Susan this week. Yeah, Susan has left us for Europe. I don't blame her. And she's really sad she couldn't be here, but we're going to hear a little clip of her thoughts later um, yes. and probably ask her a little bit more about it um, when she gets back. Yeah, because she's also a huge fan of Stephen King. I didn't know you guys were such huge fans of Stephen King. I'm just a fan of Stephen King, like, movie content, but I've never read any of his books. But I've watched a lot of, like, his adaptations. I, I Let me say, my Stephen King background is, <laughs> you know, I, I, I feel like everyone has those books that they go to when they're sort of, like, graduating from middle grade books to, like, grown-up books. Right. Um, and for me, that was Stephen King. Um, I never read R.L. Stein. I just went straight to Stephen King. You didn't even make a pit stop at Goosebumps. <laughs> Hell no. I was like, this is child's play. I gotta what about get the good stuff. Scary stories to tell in the dark, or whatever that one is. Yeah, but that was like before. That was when I was little. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Emily cut her teeth on horror novels. That's that yeah. book is still terrifying to this day. Well, mostly because of the illustrations though. Yeah, it's true. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I read Stephen King's It when I was 10 years old, and it took me an entire school year to read it. I carried that book around with me every day to class. And everyone was like, look at that freak. <laughs> no, everyone was like, God, she's so cool. Look at her with her, her big book. Isn't that what sixth graders think? Oh, yeah. The longer the book, the more impressive it is. Yeah. And the cooler you are. I was, I was 10 in the sixth grade. That's because I was also super young. Oh, my God. I was 12 in the sixth grade. I probably would have pushed you into a locker. Yeah. I, I started <laughs> everything early, Stephen King and school. So, <laughs> Ben, you're a Stephen King fan? I am, though not typically in a horror way. Yeah, Ben's a scaredy cat. I'm a bit. I'm surprised he went to see the movie. I saw the, uh, the TV miniseries recently, and it intrigued me enough to go. Twice, Twice, I guess, now. Yeah, we went to see it for a second time today, so so we're fresh. I want to go again. Yeah, so yeah. I guess that we're playing our cards we like Zed. <laughs> ben is a Dark Tower expert and convinced me to read The Dark Tower. Oh, The Dark Tower, yes. That is mostly where I'm all about, but I wish I did read more since a lot of them intersect. So we thought for our intro question this week, we would ask, what member of the Losers Club do you most strongly identify with and why? Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Losers Club is the group of children. Ben, you're our guest. Do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, probably Ben. <laughs> uh, ben. I wish our names were the same or else it wouldn't seem like such a cop-out. I, I forgot there was one named Ben and I thought you were making a joke. <laughs> 
<laughs> you got to pay attention to that movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, just being the sort of the chubby, smart kid that was socially awkward and dissolved under pressure. Though he's tougher than me. I probably just died pretty early in that movie. <laughs> as soon as the bully cut your stomach, you'd be like, I'm out. Yeah, I just lean into it. Yeah. Like, well, you got to go someday. Yeah. So I had trouble deciding. My my first inclination was that I identify most with Eddie because um, I, too, am very afraid of disease and germs. And, like, I don't let anybody drink after me or, like, I don't drink after anyone, like, not even Ben, and we're engaged. Um, I just think it's gross. Uh <laughs> So, like, I think my fears most line up with Eddie is because I'm definitely afraid of, like, being sick. But I think I'm probably the most, like, Bill, especially, like, book Bill, because he's the storyteller. He, um, you know, grows up to be a writer. I kind of like to think I'm a writer. And uh, (laughs) He also has a very close relationship with his little brother. Obviously, it doesn't go well for him. But, you know, like, I like to think that, you know, if something happened to my little brother, I would also go down in the sewers and beat up some monsters for him. So, Well, judging from what Adam said on our Girl with All the Gifts episode, you would protect him in a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah, with my with my cake decorating skills. I guess I guess I will go. Um, I am Mary. Oh, yeah. Did I say my name? Oops. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm Emily. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, although Ben already said it, I feel like I am a Ben for different reasons. Um, I would totally 100% write really lame poetry for someone. <laughs> Your hair is winter fire. January embers. My heart burns there, too. <laughs> <laughs> the more I hear that poem... The worst. <laughs> okay, but it's pretty good for like a twelve-year-old, you know. But like, this takes place in the summer. <laughs> Why is it January, Embers? Maybe he'd been sitting on that poem for months. You don't know. She's fair-skinned. Mm. I mean, I think also uh, Ben is sort of like the fat kid who thinks he'll never get the girl because he's a fat kid. You know. And I, I get that. <laughs> I get Ben. I like him. He's a cutie. And then in the new adaptation, he is just like, he has the squishiest He's cheeks. so cute. I just want to hug him. Yes. I'm Kelly. <laughs> Hi, Kelly. I'm Kelly. And I was also a little conflicted about this, um, but I probably am going to go with Eddie because I have like huge... Uh, issues with not necessarily like myself getting sick, but just with like the concept of like illness in general and just like a lot of anxiety about like everything, which he seems to. He's just constantly like rattling off like reasons why they shouldn't do A, B, and C because A, B, and C. And like, you know, I, I identify with that. But I also identify with like Richie to a certain extent with like trying to, like, be the comic relief in situations where it's not even really necessarily funny and I don't know what else to do, so I'm just like, uh, <laughs> like... Here's a joke! joke, and it, then I, like, immediately regret it, but... And I also identify with Bev, to a certain extent, because I was telling Emily this, that, like, 
no big deal or anything, but, like, I did have two best guy friends who both fell for me, and then they, like, fought with each other over it. So I was like, I I feel that, Bev, especially when you don't want either of them, which that was my situation, too. You're like, all right, like, I guess I'll go for this because it's here and (laughs) Mm -hmm. sort of situation. Mm -hmm. So I but I, I would say overall, mostly Eddie. And uh, just for the record, we asked Susan this question as well, and she said, put me down for Eddie. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Susan and I have very similar anxieties in general about everything, so I can definitely yeah. Eddie, Eddie is pretty fantastic, especially in the newest adaptation. I love him in both, too. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. he was my favorite from, like, the beginning and when I first started watching the miniseries. Well, y'all know my favorite in the miniseries is Bill. Well, yeah, we can we can get into that. Yeah. So I'm going to read a very brief summary of the movie and the book, you know, just the story in and of itself. It's kind of hard to talk about this because there are three different versions of it. Um, so we'll try to do the best we can keeping them separate. But the summary is seven young outcasts in Derry, Maine are about to face their worst nightmare. An ancient, shape-shifting evil that emerges from the sewer every 27 years to prey on the town's children. Banding together over the course of one horrifying summer, the friends must overcome their own personal fears to battle the murderous, bloodthirsty clown known as Pennywise. Also, in the book and miniseries versions of this story, there is another side of the tale where it involves the adults going back to Derry to face the entity again. For one last ride. Way to spoil the next movie, Mary. Ah! <laughs> people, people should know. People should know. The book has been out since the 80s. The, the original miniseries has been out since 1990. If you have not gotten on that, that is your problem. I think we could avoid some of the major, major spoilers for the next one that haven't happened in this one. Sure, yeah. I'm I'm mostly concerned with the newest adaptation because I'm most familiar with it. Because I saw it twice. I've seen the miniseries once, watched it with Emily a couple weeks ago, and I've read 300 pages of the book. And that's it. (laughs) I think it's easier to talk about movies without spoiling them than it is to talk about books without spoiling them. You know what I mean? Yes. So I think we could yes, – let's yes. see if we can avoid it, right? I mean, we can we can say, like, what do we miss by having that adult part? Because Emily and I talked about that earlier yeah. and wanted to bring it up. But we don't have to say exactly yeah. what happened. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so one thing I was noticing, just thinking about the – Differences between the miniseries and the book, which are sort of more closely similar, I guess, and the 2017 adaptation is the way that the children's fear manifests within this entity. So this thing, it, which is sometimes Pennywise the Dancing Clown appears differently to the different kids in order to scare them more effectively. And I did read the beginning part of the book, you know, the 300 page warm up to the actual (laughs) plot. And the entity turns into like lots of different things like the wolf man or a mummy or a leper or whatever. And it, 
does some of that in the movie, too, in the 2017 movie. But there is a lot of Pennywise in the mm-hmm. new movie. It's not special guest Tim Curry Pennywise. <laughs> no. There is a lot of... It's starring Bill Skarsgård Pennywise. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of Pennywise. And also, he's scary. <laughs> um, Tim Curry's Pennywise is scary once he opens up his mouth and you see the teeth. And Susan talks a little bit more in her clip she sent in about how terrifying Tim Curry is, especially if you're a kid. But Bill Skarsgård's Pennywise just starts creepy. And I'm wondering if it is supposed to entice the children into coming close and um, getting close enough to eat. Why does it start scaring? Yeah. Like, what is what is this major focus on Pennywise specifically? I guess I never really thought of... Even when I was watching the miniseries, and like, I guess this is just, maybe this is just a recent thing in popular culture slash like people in my age range or whatever, but like, I have never thought that clowns were enticing. And it is like a, like people's, a lot of people's biggest fear. So I just like, I, while watching it, I never like could imagine that there would be a clown and a child would just like approach the clown. And be like, yay, this is so enticing. So I'm not really sure if that would ever be... I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what I want to say other than, like, clowns are fucking scary. And I don't know many people who would walk willingly towards a clown that was alone. Yeah, no. So I have feelings about Pennywise. First of all, I I don't think that the Pennywise in the book is ever supposed to look like just like a straight up clown. Um, but you know, like, I think we've got two very different interpretations of that, uh, in the miniseries and in the, the new movie. And as far as I know, what they were going for in the new movie is this Pennywise who, I mean, he's supposed to look real, real heavily leaning into the uncanny nature of clowns. And we're supposed to know that Pennywise is this like alien monster type being that is trying to pose as human, but is also kind of getting enjoyment in the fact that like he uh, is on the edge of that. He enjoys sort of being on that edge of like, Oh, is there something weird about that? Or is this normal? Like I can't like the uncanny, right? Like something familiar, but right, right. not. So I think that's what they were really going for with this. And that's something that I think comes across in the book. And I, to me, that seems like an accurate representation of the way he's described in the book. Um, one of the things that Bill Skarsgård has said about his performance as Pennywise is that um, Pennywise thinks everything he's doing is really funny, even though nobody else does he realizes that this is like an in-joke just for him, basically. (laughs) Right. So he thinks to himself, like, and it's funny that I'm a clown, but I'm also doing fucked up things to kids. And this is kind of like this, like, this joke that I'm playing. But, like, the kids aren't in on it, you know? Right. 
No, they're not. <laughs> yeah. So it didn't really bother. Like, I wasn't like, oh, he's scary. Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, I, I think that makes sense. Um, and that's not to say Tim Curry's doesn't make sense. I just think they're like two right. very different interpretations. And obviously, like, Tim Curry's amazing. And the number one reason you should watch the miniseries is because of Tim Curry. Definitely. Tim Curry's yeah. performance still holds up. And the number yeah. two reason. Is Jonathan Brandis. <laughs> yeah, the number two reason is Jonathan Brandis. Uh, ben, what are your thoughts on Pennywise? Uh, I mean, I enjoyed Skarsgård version of him. I think he was supposed to look almost more like um, maybe kind of mouse-like, mm, at least in the initial yeah. scene, kind of like a... Rodent-y? Rodent-y? Yeah, like where it could be <laughs> cute until it kills you. Yeah. Um, so I, I got it from that point... I was a little sad that he was so far-fetched because Karsgaard already has kind of a, I don't want to say weird face. I want to say striking. There we go. Striking face. And they probably could have toned back a little bit on morphing him to look clearly like a monster. Because, yeah, it was hard to believe anyone but a kid as small as Georgie would see that clown and be initially enticed. Even Georgie wasn't. He was like, I want no. my boat, but, uh. <laughs> yeah. I like, uh, the... The part where he says, do you smell that? It's popcorn. Cause, and it's your favorite because it goes pop, pop, pop. And Georgie starts laughing, but he's also kind of like, Yes. He's yeah. so scared. Oh, poor Georgie. Ugh. The Georgie in the new movie is so adorable. He looks just like what my dad looked like when he was a little kid. Like I have all these pictures of my dad as a child and he looks just like him. Is your dad named George? No, his name is Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, one thing that's sort of different about Bill Skarsgård's version of Pennywise that I'm obsessed with, and I keep mentioning this to people, and after I mention it, you know, people say, oh, okay, that's a thing. He's constantly drooling. Oh, my God. Yeah. How do people, wait, people don't notice that? Yes. I talked to several people, and they're like, oh, yeah, he is drooling. Well, he also has just, like, these very – and, like, my friend Alex, a uh, friend of the show, Alex, who um, – <laughs> we were – I went with her, and she, like, leaned over to me in the middle of the movie, and she was like, lip gloss. And then after it was over, she was like – I was like, do you have any comments you want to add to the podcast? And she was like, just, like, mention the lip gloss. Because <laughs> he has, like, this really intense, like – is not just wearing, like, clown makeup. It's, like, shiny, glossy. Yeah, yeah. Which is probably just drool. But in yeah. some parts, it just comes off as, like, lip gloss. Well, you know, um, people on Twitter... <laughs> oh, no. Have, we care about those people now? People on Twitter have declared Pennywise the Duke's boyfriend. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Babadook can do better. I'm just reporting what I've seen. I want the Babadook to know before he gets serious about this relationship that Pennywise is actually just like glowing lights that if you stare at them, you'll go insane. I thought you were going to spoil. I'm just saying, watch out, Babadook. (laughs) I mean, the Babadook is is also, he has some things going on. So, I mean, we can't put all of the blame on Pennywise here. They both have their issues, their baggage. With children. Mm-hmm. Well, as far as com- comparing the two Pennywises, I think 
the new Pennywise could have done better to have less CGI because it looked pretty good. But, I mean, being a real-looking clown person was somehow more scary when Tim Curry was doing it um, compared to now when he has that sort of um, enhanced dancing scene uh, when he's actually in his little cart uh, (laughs) underground. And it just seemed like it was more ridiculous than scary. And if he had just sat there dancing slowly as a normal person, I would have been much more terrified. (laughs) The way he moved in general, though, was pretty creepy. The, like, jitter movement that he would do, I thought, was pretty effective. That's sort of a uh, standard, more recent horror movie thing, is the really jerky Yeah. But it all it, it gets me because it's like a body horror sort of thing where it's like, how is it moving like that? And then it also reminds me of like cockroaches and bugs, like the way that they move. So like, yeah, the way that he like would sort of jerk around was pretty creepy. I agree. It creeps me out too. And there were some gener- genuinely like scary moments with him that were obviously like CGI based but like to me the scariest scene and i didn't like think this movie was particularly scary like i didn't ever have to like look away or anything but like if i'm genuinely really scared i'll like look at my lap or something (laughs) but in this movie like there were lots of jump scares but one part that was very creepy was when they were in the room with the projector and he like comes out and he's like weirdly giant <laughs> it's like so creepy. He's like this giant, like almost like a puppet looking thing. And they're all like trapped in this tiny garage with like, and he's like coming out of the wall. Oh my God. I can't. Also though, I don't know. I thought this today when we rewatched it, when Pennywise comes out of the projector, they open the garage door and he just disappears. It's not like, yeah. I mean, does it have to be dark for him to be out? Maybe the light like shattered the illusion or something. Yeah, he was a projected image. So if you have a projector and you like turn on all the lights, you can't really see it anymore. Like the reason he was so big is it was like a projected image of him. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that makes sense. One thing Emily brought up today is the iconic line from from it is "We all float." Pennywise says. Several times, we all float down here, and he keeps telling the kids, we all float. Yes. Mm. You know, before, I assumed, as everyone assumed, as I think is correct, we all float just means we're floating in the sewer. Because we're dead. In the water. Because we're dead, and dead bodies float. Yes, that's exactly what it's supposed to be. Right. But, that is not the case in the latest version. Yeah, I really didn't like that particularly because I was like why do we have to make this a literal thing like I feel like one of Stephen King's uh, signature moves because he has some moves that he (laughs) likes to do in his writing but one of his signature moves is that you know he likes uh, to have a refrain in his uh, work you know we get red rum in The Shining you know he, he likes it when he when there's some like some re- repetitive phrase and i think that that is a horror move definitely definitely i agree that that's such a horror trope to have a repetitive phrase and use it to sort of like 
build anticipation and be creepy. And it doesn't have to have, like, an extremely significant meaning. Like, um, when Danny Torrance is saying red rum, red rum, red rum over again in The Shining, it's not, like, this huge reveal. It just, all it is is murder backwards, you know? I will say the first time I saw that movie, though, I was like, what? Oh, my God, Mary. (laughs) It's murder? (laughs) Um. But yeah, like, it doesn't have to have this, like, huge, significant uh, plot meaning, you know? It's, it's just something repetitive to create this sense of fear. So when you hear over and over again, like, you'll float down here. It's scary. I don't need to know exactly what that looks like. I get the idea. That's not, I don't want to be floating down in the sewer, you know? <laughs> No, because it means you're dead. Well, it also suggests something beyond what you would expect. I mean, it's scary because it's not really specified what it is. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you see it, it's just floating bodies for apparently no reason. Because I guess he's already fed on them or something. It's not very clear. Yeah. Then what's the point? I'd almost rather have seen nothing. Never find a sign of those kids. Yeah. It's scarier. Right. But as as the usual, modern Hollywood has to show you things. Mm Mm-hmm. They can't leave anything to the imagination. Because otherwise, some idiot would be like, what does it mean when they say we all float? I don't get it. I didn't see anybody floating. (laughs) So the movie had to be like, I'll fucking show you what floating is, motherfucker. It's like this. Anyway, go ahead. Did I miss it? Or did he not say anything about floating in the first scene in the sewer? Because like... He did. Did he? He did. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, because, like, I, like, later in the movie, I was like, I didn't think I heard him say that. Like, shouldn't he have said it in the first sewer scene? But I guess he did, and I just didn't. I feel like Tim Curry was just way more excited about it, because when, in the miniseries, when Georgie says to to the Tim Curry Pennywise, do they float? Pennywise is like, oh, you just asked me my favorite question. (laughs) Yes, they float. They all float. And he's like, like, over the top. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there was less of that going on. Again, just different interpretations of the same thing. I think in some ways, uh, Bill Skarsgård's interpretation of Pennywise was more subtle than Tim Curry's. And in other ways, Tim Curry's was more subtle. And so it just, you know. I I mean, I appreciate that they're two very different interpretations of the same character. Because if we had Bill Skarsgård doing Tim Curry doing Pennywise, it would be bad. That would be. Yeah really terrible yeah exactly i i mean despite i guess like kind of our go-to move on the podcast is to critique things because i don't know about you guys but that's often how i enjoy things is through yeah critiquing and questioning Mm -hmm. what i liked and didn't like about it and i really did like the new it movie i mean i clearly liked it i saw it twice yeah and i enjoyed it both times but i did have uh, one major problem with it, and I think this is a problem a lot of people have had. Oh, is this the problem I have with it? Probably, yes. I okay. think so. Um, Mike and Ben have been uh, sort of altered in the 2017 movie. So in the original story, Mike, who is the black kid in the Losers Club, um, 
is a bit of an amateur historian, and he spends a lot of his time researching the town of Derry, and he's actually the person who calls everyone when they're adults to bring them back to Derry. And he's been doing all this research over the years, and he knows a lot more about this entity that they're going to fight. Ben has his own plot, and, you know, has his crush on Beverly, but that's kind of his that's it you know like he's not researching he spends time in the library but it's not like researching dairy well and he has like his whole like my dad was in the military and died right. side plot which right. they didn't have in he this has one. A, and and the whole like i'm new to town thing he has a lot of other plots going on basically he has stuff going on but it's not researching yeah, dairy which is what he has this time his parents may be the only absent characters yeah. Richie's parents aren't really there either. Oh, yeah. Okay. So him and Richie. Yeah. Mm. That's interesting. I don't know. So, like, in the new version, Mike is barely in the movie. He's in, I think, three scenes. He doesn't ever say much. And he, I guess he's in more scenes than that, but when he's there, he's just sort of there. He's not really doing anything significant. And Ben has that research role where he introduces the other losers to all of the crazy things that have happened in Derry. They introduce Mike in a significant way. You know, him standing in front of the sheep, hesitating on killing it, and having a whole scene mentioning his parents' death. Or Well, I guess they just su- no, yeah, they suggest they're not there. But then they cut away and you basically don't see him for 30 minutes. A long time. So you see him again, you're like, oh yeah, that, that guy's in the movie. And... You're already thrown up by that point, and you can't trust anything else they show of him to be significant because he could disappear again. And right. in a way, he, he devolves to the the guy who brings the gun, which is disturbing in its own way. Yeah, I just, I don't understand. I mean, I think one of the problems I have with it, too, and this is something, Ben, you and I talked about a lot, is like, if you read the book or you even if you like the miniseries too, to a certain extent, a big part of it is racism or like a big theme in it is this issue of racism and the small town homophobia, anti-Semitism. Like there's a lot of bigotry happening in this town. And I think one of the things that happens when you change Mike's story is you erase a lot of that plot line. And part of me wondered if I was like, do they think because it's the 1980s in this version in the in the book and in the miniseries it takes place in the 50s? Like, do they think because it's the 1980s the audience won't believe that bigotry still exists? Because it definitely does. Um, so I don't like that was another issue for me is like by downplaying Mike, you're also downplaying this big issue of racism that the book is trying to tackle. Yes, I felt like, and I just rewatched the miniseries like last week or watched it for the first time. Sorry, not rewatched. Um, and I was like feeling like Mike did not get an introduction at the beginning. And we don't really like learn anything about him until he is like, he gives like a class presentation where he like shows photographs and then he like gets like attacked by the bullies and has this like really horrible racist incident. But I felt like, because in the miniseries, and we're going to talk about this later with the switching back and forth of the adults, like in the miniseries, Mike is one of the first characters introduced as an adult, so we get mm-hmm. a sense that he's going to be important. 
And there's a lot more going on with him as an adult than there is as a kid. But his kid scenes in the miniseries are, like, really, like, sparse and not very informative or interesting at all. Like, he has, like, no backstory. He His only thing is, like, I have some history that I know. And that's, like, it. So I thought it was interesting in this one that at least he got a little bit of, like, this is, like, my story about my parents. This is, like, my tragedy. This is what I do. This is my job. Like, we have no sense of that at all in the in the miniseries when he's a kid. And so I don't know how they're going to, like, deal with, like, whatever happens when they're adults. But yeah. I, ah, I personally... Well, let, let me tell you. Well, yeah, I saw. <laughs> I saw. And I don't know how to feel about that because I'm also, like, how are they all going to get back there if they don't have the person who's going to have them come back? Like, that doesn't really make any sense. But Well, for those of us that don't know, Mary, um, tell us a little bit about what the director says he's planning on doing with the Mike character. Yes. I'm, like, actually pulling up this article. And we'll we'll link it in the show notes, too. This has been reported at several different news outlets, but the one that I'm pulling this from is Entertainment Weekly, that reliable, wonderful news source. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So the director, Mike Machete, said in an interview, my idea of Mike in the second movie is quite darker from the book. I want to make his character the one pivotal character who brings them all together, but staying in Derry took a toll on him. I want him to be a junkie, actually. A librarian junkie. When the second movie starts, he's a wreck. I like that he's a librarian junkie, because that's a thing. Yeah, I'm glad he was able to hold a job while also dealing with his drug habit. And uh, Machete went on to say, he's not just the collector of knowledge of what Pennywise has been doing in Derry. He will bear the role of trying to figure out how to defeat him. The only way he can do that is to take drugs and alter his mind. So that's that's what uh, the director has said is going to happen in the second chapter in terms of Mike. And I don't feel great about that, to be honest. Yeah. I don't feel good um, about that at all. Yeah. Ben, do you want to talk to us about why you don't feel good about that? Well, by making some sort of drug an integral part of defeating it, in as in the adult stage of the story that basically destroys uh, destroys the entire basis of the book and the, everything I've seen or read so far since it seems to be needing to get back to a childlike place of acceptance working together believing in each other all the things that the adults of Derry have pushed aside mm-hmm. really just ruins everything so hopefully. Entertainment Weekly is reliable as ever and completely wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, this this interview has been featured in several different sources. So, I mean, I think he did actually say it. Then hopefully he's replaced. <laughs> or he is not communicating the idea right. in a way that is... Because, like, I, I would like to think he's the director of this movie, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And we liked this movie. So I would like to to think that he would continue and do a good job on the second one and I want to have like good like high hopes for that so I want to think that like maybe because I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea that or like a wrong idea that staying in dairy would have a really negative psychological effect on a person right 
I think that an idea like that could work if if the drugs are not literally the way that they defeat the clown. I think that right. I could see how he he maybe starts using drugs because he thinks that that might help him and then he goes down like the wrong path in that way and that's not actually like what helps him like I don't know. I'm hoping that mm-hmm. he just didn't describe his idea very well. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess I'm just worried because, to me, what allows the kids to see it and interact with it is that they are holding on to childhood in s- some capacity. Because the adults can't see it and don't see any effects of it. So, like, for example, in the bathroom scene, when there's blood everywhere at Beverly's house, her dad walks in and says, what's the problem? He can't see that the bathroom is covered in blood. And as adults, all of the kids, like all of the losers have sort of repressed the memory. But when they remember, they're still holding on to their childhood in some capacity. And so like, that's what I like about it is like, it's not that they're crazy. They're just sort of like tapped into a different part of themselves that people forget and so saying, oh, Mike has to do drugs <laughs> to remember. Yeah. It's just like, I don't like that. I don't like that either. If it does do that, that's obviously going to be an issue. Or maybe he'll listen to this podcast and realize that it's a bad idea. I think he will. And switch course. Or maybe like know. the many other people who are probably involved with the film will be like, can you, like, maybe that's not. Can you not? <laughs> yeah. Mary, I think it's interesting you say they can't see it, the adults. I mean, because I would argue that they choose not to see it, even if it's almost Maybe. an unconscious voice, choice at this point. Um, yeah. Well, there are also a lot of scenes in which it it seems that the adults might even be, like, involved. Mm-hmm. But that's never really answered. I think we're supposed to feel suspicious of the adults. And, you yes. know, like, one of the things that I think works really well with this particular story and a lot of Stephen King stories, but we're just talking about this one for now, is that, like, the scariest thing isn't necessarily the monster. Um, Right. These kids come from really frightening home lives as well, and their school life is really frightening. Like, that bully that they're dealing with is no joke. Henry Bowers. Yeah. Like, he's no joke. He's not just a bully who's going to push you around. He, he will kill carves. you. He tries to carve yeah. his name. He's a psychopath. He will kill you. And then yeah. the other kids around him are bullies who are like, uh, what are you doing, dude? And he's like, no, I'm doing it. And they're like, okay, well, I guess we have to do yeah. it too. So, like, these kids are navigating this world where, like, they can't really trust anyone outside of their friend group because, like, their parents are weirdos. Like, uh, the adults that they don't know, who the hell knows what they're up to. So, yeah, I, I like the idea that there's this constant suspicion that, like, maybe the adults are involved or maybe the adults know and are denied. Like, we never really know what's going on with the adults because they don't know what's right. going on with the adults. So it could be it could be any number of things happening there, which I think is cool. Talking about terrible home life and scary situations that the kids find themselves in. Let's talk about Bev. Yeah, I love Bev. She's great. Yeah, Susan also sort of said, I love Bev is her last thing. Yes. Yeah. That she said to us before she, she left. She was like, 
Does anyone else love Bev as much as me? Bev is a badass, etc. Which I totally agree with. I really liked this version of Bev in the new one because they gave her... I wanted to see her shoot things. Oh, see her shoot things. Yeah, because she's like such a crack shot in the miniseries and all the boys are like, whoa. She throws the first rock in the rock fight. Yeah. Yeah, and every time they show her throwing rocks in the rock fight, I mean, she hits people dead in the face. Yeah. Yes. Which, like, I'm surprised nobody died from that, because that looked very dangerous. I know. I would die. What do you think about Bev, Ben? I thought she was fantastic. I mean, if the movie didn't have her, I probably wouldn't have liked it. Yeah, Yeah. she's really important. I mean, in terms of, like, strong female characters, it's nice to see one that essentially takes over leadership of this group. Bill's there, yes, and he is a bit of a driving force, but sometimes a foolhardy one kind of makes me not like Bill very mm-hmm. much. Um, Bev's definitely the person that I would vote to be the leader if it ever came to a vote. Yeah. Because she's strong, she's independent, even despite her terrible home life, she knows how to take not care of herself. Take care of yourself and not, and not take the things that are terrorizing you. And let them influence how you treat other people, which seems to be a lot of how the the terrible people in this movie, like Henry and others, mm-hmm. like they can't help but project what right. is projected upon them. Because Hen- Henry is such a terrible asshole in part because his father is a terrible asshole to him. Um, but that doesn't excuse psychopathic behavior. I think one of the things that's interesting, and we see this in the movie a couple of times that Beverly, like, she's not only extremely tough, but she has the biggest heart out out of all of them. Like, that scene where she signs Ben's yearbook and she sees no one else has signed his yearbook, like, you can tell like, that she she really feels for him in that moment. Also, like, when they see that Mike is getting attacked by the bullies, she's the one that jumps off her bike and says, we need to help him. Like, because I got the sense that the other kids, if Beverly hadn't been there to say we need to help them, they would have been like, well, we don't want to fool with that guy. Like, we need to keep going. But Beverly was like, no, it's our responsibility to help them. So, like, I I think she's really cool. I Emily and I have talked a lot about this and have sort of, like, conflicting opinions about it. And I, like, it's hard for me because I agree with everything you guys are saying. Like, I think Beverly's a really cool character. And I think she's, like, the losers can't really exist and function without her. And she is, you know, probably, like, the strongest character. And I like, Ben, that you say that she doesn't let her, um, like, experience at home influence how she treats other people. I don't know. I'm And, like, I just, my gut reaction is I hate how Stephen King has written her to be a sexual fantasy for all these young boys. But I mean, like, I'm sorry, if that's the way it would be if you were an adolescent girl who was a fucking badass and was, like, smarter and stronger and tougher than all of these other dudes, they would be looking at you and be thinking, like, she's so fucking cool and also she's a girl, like... Yeah. I think, like, <laughs> the fact that, like, the age group we're dealing with here, which is what they're, like, you know... How old are they supposed to be, like, 13? Well, yeah, in in the movie they're 13. I'm pretty sure in the book they're younger than that. Okay. So, like, 13, 
is like a pivotal age of like puberty for boys. Like if you think about yeah. middle school boys, like just like the fact that even with all the scenes where Bev wasn't in the scene, the boys are always like, blah, my dick, blah, 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 which is like exactly oh, how yeah, 13 yeah. year old boys talk. And so it would be, I mean, I I liked, because you mentioned that you disliked the scene where it shows them all ogling at her when she's, where she's yeah. lying on the ground in front of the, with her bathing suit on. But I sort of, like, appreciated that scene because it also showed that, like, even though you're, like, an asshole 13-year-old boy, when she sits up, they all look away and no one says anything. Because they're like, yeah, oh, yeah. like, I just was, like, you know, not thinking and, like, acting on my stupid hormonal whatever to just stare at her because she's lying there but i'm not gonna like be right. a dick and be like can i touch your boob like <laughs> you know yeah, like <laughs> she's, she's the object of their gaze because they are teenage boys but they're also very respectful of her and they listen to her yeah i mean one i have been a 13 year old boy <laughs> yeah, yeah tell us about that and um yeah you were totally thinking about girls all the time <laughs> uh, in that way, you didn't know how to think about them. You definitely knew something was going on. But I, I really enjoyed that <laughs> that ogling scene. You could see it as, yeah, checking out uh, this girl while she's laying out sunbathing. But if you take it in, looking at she has these, you know, the sunglasses on. She's laid back. She's entirely comfortable from the beginning of uh, even them meeting at that clifftop, um, undressing, jumping in there. They're almost just in awe of her as a person in the yeah. same time as they are in awe of her as a, a woman or a womanly body here. Because she's like their queen. <laughs> yeah. They, they can't understand why she's there with them. Mm-hmm. Because she's so much more, like, when I say smarter, she's just so much more mature than they are. Yeah. You know, as like most 13-year-old gir- yeah. girls usually are more mature than 13-year-old boys. Um, and they... They know that and they're kind of like, wow. <laughs> and she's like, as we see, getting like, you know, buying tampons and like she's already like reached this point of puberty that these boys like they all have their little voices still and they like haven't like she looks older than them, even though they're probably the same age. You know, it's like that part is super clear and realistic, too. Yeah, if a lot of this movie is these young people having to face their looming adulthood. Uh, they're coming of age. She is a physical manifestation of that because yeah. they can talk all about their dicks and all their supposed sexual deeds that are obviously made up. And when they're actually confronted with her there, I mean, they're dumbstruck because this is where all of their bravado falls away. They become and children. there's a frightening realization. They're not ready for all of these feelings and thoughts that are going through them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that kind of makes me think about, Mary, we were talking about this earlier how it manifests itself as things that the kids are most afraid of. And then for Beverly, it attacks her with her own hair. Because, well, earlier in the movie, we should say um, her dad kind of like, or extremely sexually like touches her hair and says like, are you still my girl? When he finds out that she got her period. Uh, And so like, she reacts by cutting off all her hair to kind of like cut off the thing that made her dad do that to her. Um, and it all goes down the sink. So then later in the movie, when she's in the bathroom, um, she looks down the sink cause she hears voices down there. And, uh, the, the hair comes up from the sink and like grabs her. 
Um, so what do we, what do we think that means that she is like attacked by her own hair? Like, how is this like what she fears the most? And her own menstrual cycle. Yes. Also <laughs> blood. So hair and blood. So these very like feminine things. Like we know she just got her period. So the blood is like pretty clear. Right. Right. Well, I think like with her hair, especially because she cut it off, as you said, to sort of like defy her father and, and get rid of this thing that she like blames herself while she cuts her hair, she's saying, like, doesn't she, she says, like, you did this or something, or, yes. like, this, yes. she's blaming herself for it, and she's thinking, like, if I can shed this aspect of my femininity, maybe this will be okay, and the hair coming back to get her is basically just a reminder, like, it doesn't matter if you cut your hair, like, it doesn't matter what you make yourself look like, because as a woman, you're always going to be, like, a target, you know, and, like, mm-hmm. And the reason you are a target is often because you are a woman. Definitely. Yeah, it's 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 interesting that all these boys fear these exterior things. And really what frightens Bev the most seems to be herself or like her her changing body mm-hmm. and like how she doesn't like it, that kind of sy- symbolizes that she doesn't have like control over her own body anymore. Because like as soon as you become an adolescent as a woman or as soon as you become like a female adolescent, um, suddenly the world feels like they have, like, claim over you. Right. And you're going to get your period once a month. Which fucking sucks, and let me coming. just say. It's coming for you. No matter you. how much hair you cut off. Yeah. Here it comes. Your body still knows you have a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> no, so she's definitely good. At least she was done well in this movie, even if Mike wasn't. Yeah. I think she was done a lot better in this movie than she was in the miniseries. Yeah. The actors are really good yeah yeah except jonathan brandis in the miniseries was better than he was way better than i have to say that thank you well you have a crush on well also he was good it's true that emily has a crush on jonathan brandis i however don't have a crush on jonathan brandis i don't currently have a crush on jonathan brandis he was just like my first childhood crush okay like i had a like, I had, like, the teen beats with pictures of him, and I, like, maybe had, like, a wall covered with pictures of him. But maybe. that Emily has a crush on Jonathan Brandis currently. That was then and this is now. <laughs> I still feel like his performance was more, um, I don't know, like, I just cared more about that. There was something, like, fuller about his personality. The stuttering was a little bit more natural. Yeah, too. it was. Like... And he, yeah, he just was a little bit more interesting, I think. I think that this Bill was not that, he was the least interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the older movie, I think Jonathan Brandis was clearly the best of the child actors to me. Um, in the newer movie, I really thought Eddie, like they were all great, yeah. but I thought Eddie like killed it. He did oh, such man. a good job. He was, he so, was funny. so funny. Can we just talk about how, when he's talking about the placebos and he gets home and throws the pill bottle at his mom. They're gazebos! Like, They're gazebos! It's a gazebo! <laughs> what did you think, Ben? Who was your um, favorite in the new movie? And how did you feel about the child actors in the new movie versus the old movie? I mean, I guess of the boys, since we've already, you know. Yeah, we talked about Bev, yeah. We've taken care of Bev. I mean, I liked Richie. It's hard because it's hard to separate him from... Stranger Things. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, yeah. the thing but, is, like, his uh, character was so different. Yeah. It is. But, I mean, I liked him in Stranger Things, so it's easy to... Like him again. Keep liking him from that. Because he's definitely the comic relief, and he had a lot of good beats. But sometimes it didn't quite land. Yeah. 
But it's almost like they made him talk too much because people would be like, oh, they'll recognize this kid. He's from Stranger Things. I think that the Richie character, I mean, I think that's part of his character as well. Like, some of his jokes aren't supposed to land because, like, that is sort of his defense mechanism is he's just, like, always trying to tell jokes. And sometimes with Richie, you're like, all right, that's enough. And he is a teenage boy, too, because it's like, you know, every 13-year-old boy thinks he's fucking hilarious. <laughs> ben still thinks he's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I am. Like, if you ever hang out with like middle schoolers, if you're ever like around middle schoolers, like, no, but I was a middle schooler. Yeah, once. but like it, when you're a middle <laughs> schooler, I thought I was really funny. And the other middle schoolers around you are making jokes. You're like, you, th- you're more willing to think that they're funny because they're the same age as you. Now, if you hang out with middle schoolers, you're like, oh my god, you poor child. Like, <laughs> yeah, you need to get a better sense of humor. <laughs> but um, I liked him a lot in this uh and i liked because he was a very different richie than like miniseries richie seth green yeah seth green richie um (laughs) but i liked him a lot and i liked i don't know if this is how it is in the book but i liked that his fear is clowns in this movie rather than the wolf man because he is the clown and so it's like talking about how like, his defense mechanism when he is afraid is to be funny, but then he is afraid of the very thing that he, like, is, you know? Yeah, that was interesting. Um, I think in the book, in the miniseries, he was, like, afraid of werewolves because they, like, went to see, mm. like, a werewolf movie. Yeah. But yes. I think that doesn't translate very well to contemporary audiences because we don't really think of werewolves as scary anymore because, you know, we right. have, like... Sexy we have, werewolves. We have sexy werewolves, and then we also have, like, Professor Lupin from yeah. Harry Potter. So we're like, oh, like werewolves. Like I said, sexy We have werewolves. sexy werewolves. We have sympathetic <laughs> werewolves. Well, it fits the 50s yeah. better. Yeah, it fits the 50s better because that's when, like, those types of movies were coming in. Yeah. 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 I did miss that all of the kids didn't say, beep, beep, Richie. He said it one yeah, time, the clown. That was my problem. <sighs> yeah, well, no, no, only no, no, the kids the said, it, said it, just Pennywise. Yeah. Just Pennywise. Yeah. So it will make no sense in part two. Yeah, <laughs> the clown said it one time, and it didn't make sense. And I actually, I, you know, I watched a bunch of reviews on YouTube because I love watching YouTube videos. And, like, one of the reviews I watched on YouTube, the girl was like, I don't understand why the clown said beep beep, like just because it was a clown. And I was like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, that's a thing that people say to Richie. But like, why would people know that yeah. who haven't seen any of that? Yeah, that's a legit review then. Yeah. Also, why do they say that to Richie in the first place? Yeah. It's well, again, it's sort of like the thing <laughs> it's like an where joke. it's sort of the thing where like whenever he like is making too many jokes or going too far, they're just like, yeah, beep beep, Richie. You know, like, all right, all right, we get it. You're the jokester. You know, I just was like, every time I hear beep beep, I think of like a car horn, like beep beep, get out of the way. So I like didn't understand why they kept saying that to him. I was like, beep beep, okay, I guess. Yeah. It, is, it is supposed to be like a car horn, like they're honking at it, like stop. Yeah. Okay. That's how I read it. Yeah. 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 You know, that didn't name. Beep, beep, I will say, Richie. as far as Richie and the clowns, I did not like the clown scene, like the clown room. Oh, why not? I, I mean, mean I, I didn't either, one. but I hate clowns. In terms like of over the, the top, <laughs> it felt over the top. I had a lot of problems with that entire haunted house, but that scene particularly, I really wanted them to elaborate uh, in the moment they're talking about their fears and that festival is going on behind them and we see that clown back behind them performing and he turns and looks and, and mentions clowns. I really wanted that to be a moment that could have stood out in a creepy way more so. 
almost like he has his own episode looking at the stage, maybe even see something Pennywise-like instead. Because those slow, scary morph between real life and the Pennywise scares are always the scariest part. Such as the um, the creepy woman in the library oh. um, in the background while he's looking at the the pages of people dying who slowly gets closer and stands awkwardly. I don't even know if I noticed that. Yeah, I didn't notice it the first time I saw it, but then one of the reviews that I listened to um, pointed it out. So then I was looking for it this time. And I think, Ben, you listened to that review with me. Yeah, it was so scary. Like, I watched it this time, and she just stood with that same awkward high shoulder, head slightly bent, with almost a look on her face, even blurred. You could tell it was sort of a hungry smile. (laughs) And it just sits there in the background. And then when you see him get up, she's just back doing her thing, putting the books away in the back. But it's terrifying. And I wanted to see that kind of scare rather than, oh, he's afraid of clowns. Let's put as many as we possibly can in a room to make sure he's... If he was that scared, I don't think he'd walk across the room. Yeah. Because how do I that? I just I thought it was that? fun to see all of those different clowns because they were all, like, really weird looking. <laughs> well, they have stores for that. <laughs> yeah, and there was a... There was a clowns RS. There was a Tim Curry Pennywise clown in the background, too. I don't know if you guys saw. Oh, I didn't. I thought that was cool. Yeah. I gotta Asterix go see it again. Don't make up for it. Yeah, you gotta go see it again. See the little... little, little well, the, I, I should also say that Ben is not, like, a big horror movie fan. Um, and so, like, a lot of the things that I think are more, like, conventional horror movie, which I, I think in a lot of ways, the new It, uh, has a lot of, a lot more conventional horror movie beats than the miniseries did. Yeah. Um, so I think some of that, I mean, not to say your points aren't valid, but I think also some of that is, like, you don't like that stuff. <laughs> oh, I just think it's tired and conventional. Yeah. It'll scare me in a new way that's more interesting. Yeah. No, I'm not. The clown scene in the haunted house was definitely conventional, and a lot of the stuff in the haunted house was pretty conventional. Um, Three times of one person getting trapped in a room. Yeah, I liked it. The scariest part of the haunted house is when Eddie lifts up his broken arm, and it's like, oh god, (laughs) like no. (laughs) That was great. And when Pennywise unfolds from the fridge and oh yeah fun like that's great but all that stuff upstairs i could have done without yeah oh god so on the drive back from the movie i was talking to ben about that part and like that to me was the part where this pennywise got the funniest when like bill is like saying to all of them like it's not real it's not real and pennywise is like i'm not real enough for you I thought that was hilarious. It was. <laughs> it was funny. It was. I was real enough for Georgie. Yeah, that wasn't as funny, but yeah. <laughs> I liked it all. I liked that whole... I yeah. Mean, we no, no, no. That, that, was, that was good. Yeah. The humor made it scarier yeah. as opposed to the constant scary half-eaten bodies, yeah. rotting bodies, clown rooms. Just so much. I'm like, wait, what am I scared of again? Yeah. Right, because like, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, like, I like the parts where remi- we are reminded that Pennywise is having fun with all of this. Mm-hmm. Like this is he's having a grand old time. He is, yeah. but I want to have fun too. And if you're going to mention the uncanny, we're early agreeing, on, buddy. We're what, agreeing. What? What? We're agreeing that we like that part because he was having fun. Oh, I thought you meant the whole no, 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 no domestic about- dispute. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's mute this real quick. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 
thinking thinking about things dark. being funny and scary at the same time, Ben, you mentioned the TV show that all the adults are watching for some reason. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, in the 2017 adaptation, all the adults are watching this creepy children's TV show with a woman telling an audience of children different things. But she's always saying things about the sewer. It's fun to play in the sewer and things like that. Yeah. yeah. It's fun to play in the sewer. And the kids are like, yeah. Go down there and bring your friends. Yeah. <laughs> the best thing about that is not like the scene where it gets really obvious and she's saying like, kill, kill. And it's like doing the little thing. Right, But right. when someone will just walk into a house and you'll just hear it in the background and it doesn't really Right, like, like when Beverly's dad is watching it and she's just like going into the other room. Yeah. Which again, like makes you wonder like, how much do these adults know about what's going on if they're just, like, watching the show and they're like, this is fine? Yeah. You know? Well, I think it's hard to tell if that show's actually on. Right, yeah. Or if they're watching it or if yeah. it turns on. Or there's a lot to play with what's actually happened in terms of what the adults are seeing. Well, I know that we're, like, kind of getting long. So are there any, like, points we need to get to before we talk about child orgy? Uh, do we want to talk about the child orgy? I think we should because everything, yeah. like my idea of Beverly is heavily shaded by knowing that there is a scene in the book where she just takes her pants off and everybody has sex with her. Right. So this is something that, again, I read this book for the first time when I was 10. And I think like the way that I dealt with it the first time I read it was I just kind of like in my mind decided like this is not canon I'm gonna <laughs> pretend this didn't happen um but like I it even got to the point where like when I was recalling the book uh later on I was like it, it's sort of like the adults are with it when they're adults I was like did that really happen or was like that just in my head uh, like, I don't remember. Like, that seems really weird. So I looked it up, and yes, it is there. It happened. The, what the scene we're talking about is, is um, when the kids are down in the sewer after they've defeated it, they get lost. And they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? How are we going to get out of the sewer? And Beverly says, I have an idea. Let me show you something that my dad taught me. Oh. And starts getting undressed. And uh, then they all have sex with her. And after they have sex with her, they miraculously are able to find their way out. Also, Stephen King delicately, intimately describes all the boys having sex with her. It goes like, on for goes, like seven pages. Yes. And he said in interviews, I don't know why everyone's so focused on this scene. Children are dying in this town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like Stephen King... You did not kill the kids. Like, that is, like, something that you're not condoning as, like, good. Like, you have a character that's killing kids. And even so, like, those deaths are not as graphically described as the seven-page gangbang. <laughs> All right? Secondly, like, you are saying that this is a... You describe this as, like, a beautiful, like, sex-positive act, basically. And we can link in the show notes to, like, some interviews of, like, when he's talking about it. Um, cause he's commented on it recently, you know, cause obviously with the movie coming out, that's been a big thing where it's like, uh, Are they gonna? yeah, well, thank, thankfully they did not include that in the yes. movie. Yeah. I don't think they would ever, I don't think there will ever be a movie version of it that <laughs> includes that. 
Yeah, because it, it's it's not canon, guys. Yeah. I've decided. I mean, I will say I don't care what Stephen King says. <laughs> in the new movie, they do a blood pact at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. where everyone, all of the kids in the Losers Club, cut their hands open and then hold hands and sort of promise to come back. Yeah, if they're needed. That seems more meaningful. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like a normal kid thing to do. Yeah. Also, I like how all of the boys were like, Ugh! like when he cut them and Bev was just like, mm-hmm. like made no, Whatever. she didn't even flinch <laughs> when she got her yeah. hand cut. She's like, y'all just try having a period yeah. and then see how you feel. <laughs> I mean, I think Bev has been through so much worse than all the rest of them, though. Like, I don't think she is phased by the same thing. Yeah. Um, so should we play Susan's comments about the movie before we wrap up? Yes. Yes. So here is BSG member Susan with her thoughts on it. Hey squad. Hey squad listeners. It's Susan and I am currently in Europe when you're hearing this, but I have thoughts about it. So here I am to tell you about them. First, the miniseries. I mentioned it last week on the podcast, but It, the miniseries, was the first movie I ever saw that scared me to death. Like, I saw it at a sleepover. It was probably in sixth grade. I don't think I slept that entire night because I could just see Tim Curry's face every time I closed my eyes. So it scared me. But for some reason, I kept making myself rent this movie over and over, which at the time was like you had to get two VHS tapes. It was like Titanic. So it came in this one of those big boxes that had two VHS tapes in it. You could rent it for a dollar. And I used to make myself watch it. And I don't know if it kind of like exercised the fear or whatever, but um, it really might be the reason I got into scary movies. And now I really love horror movies. But I will say that for a while I was so afraid of Tim Curry, the actor, like the person Tim Curry scared the shit out of me after that movie because I would see his face in other stuff and just be like, oh my God, that's Pennywise and couldn't deal with it. This all changed though, I'll say, once I saw him in Clue and Clue is one of my all-time favorite movies and then of course Rocky Horror made up for it but I still think he's super scary as Pennywise and is really kind of the only super scary thing about that miniseries the rest of it is obviously early 90s cheesy stuff but he is very scary so I saw the new one the other day with my husband and we both loved it like we were just both all in there were a couple times that he was leaning over to me and saying, like, I was just actually really scared just then. Or, like, I'm feeling genuinely terrified. (laughs) And at one point, (laughs) I think it was when the leper came after the um, kind of sickly kid, whose name I can't remember right now, of course. Um, That leper comes out and Joe said, God, what the fuck is wrong with this movie? (laughs) And I was like, this movie's awesome! So, we both thought Pennywise was extra scary, 
And I kept thinking, like, gosh, if I was that afraid of Tim Curry, imagine if I had seen this as a kid, I would have just, like, shut down altogether, probably. Because it was so much more terrifying to see it morph right in front of you instead of sort of behind the scenes, like like we would see in the miniseries. So, anyway, I'm not going to get too deep with this because I want to keep this short and sweet And I'm sure I'll have more to add after I hear what the rest of the squad has to say and after I see what our listeners write in. But yeah, I'm I'm all in for it. I want to see it again. Long live Stephen King. I, I still love you, Tim Curry. But this was really great, too. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye. sharing your thoughts Susan we're really missing you this week I'm sure that you're going to have more to say um, next next time we talk so we will hear that then oh also Ben we wanted to ask you a question that came up on our last podcast Silver Linings Playbook is the movie better than the book <laughs> no okay there uh, you have it no. we asked it, a man it, to be short about it I think the movie's interesting but it's far less unique than the book was since we have uh, the, the way meant the mental illness is treated in the book is a little bit more interesting since we're inside his head. That as well as, uh, crap, I can't remember the character's name. The Jennifer Lawrence character. Jennifer Lawrence's character. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember her name now. Um, but in the book, she's a 40-ish year old woman and he's a younger man. Oh, and I like that better. They're training for this event, and she's lying to him about the importance of it, but it does not culminate in that. That happens maybe two-thirds of the way through the book, and there's a lot more after that. So I really enjoyed it not having the formula the movie had, where it's this younger woman, and they have a training montage, and then there's a performance, um, because in the book, it's... It's like kids. It's like at a kids' competition, and they're just dancing for fun. Anyway, I'm going way off the rails here. Yeah, no. <laughs> the point is, that that um, reminded me, like, of how funny that dance scene is in that movie, though, because like there's been this training montage, and you expect them to be like really good by the end, but like they suck so bad, and I really enjoyed that. But anyway, <laughs> but no, I, I highly recommend reading the book. It, it does things a lot more interestingly. Ooh, I can't speak at all. It, it has a lot of interesting beats to it. Well, our listener who wrote in disagrees with you. So, sorry about that. But, no, you know, everyone is entitled to their opinion. It's true. I Since we recorded the last episode, I have talked about Silver Linings Playbook about five or six times. Weird. It happens, you know. Everybody keeps telling me to watch it and to read it, and I just have not. Yeah. Speaking, I've got the book, Mary. Speaking of Jennifer Lawrence, right now on the blog. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, we have guest bloggers Kristen and Katie talking about the new Darren Aronofsky movie, Mother! 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 <laughs> I saw this movie, <laughs> and afterwards, I could not articulate words, Yeah, and I just kept going, oh, I don't know, I don't know, <laughs> I just kept mumbling. Could you say yeah. Mother? Though. I mean, I wasn't trying to. 
But I was just like, I don't know, I don't know. That was really stressful. It stressed me out. And I couldn't talk about it. And the person I was with was like, are you okay? (laughs) Um, So I will say, like, I think I enjoyed the movie, but I need some more time to think think about why. (laughs) But uh, this is interesting because the... The people who blogged about it for our blog did not like the movie. So this is this is an interesting occasion where, you know, like maybe all of our views don't line up with the bloggers' reviews, but I do think they have some good points. So and I, I already left them like a lengthy comment in the comment section disagreeing with them. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that their points aren't interesting. So you should check that out. And, you know. If you've seen Mother and want us to talk about it a little bit more, we can maybe bring that up on the next podcast. So write in and tell us your thoughts because, ooh, there's a lot to say. Yes. I think I'm in between. I don't think I liked it. I did not enjoy the experience of seeing (laughs) it, and it really stressed me out. But I have thought about it a lot since I've seen it and spent a lot of time thinking about it. And that's usually the mark of a good movie. Right. I don't think you're supposed to enjoy it. That's not the point. But anyway, also on the blog, uh, another guest post yes. from Gabriella, who wrote about the podcast. Homecoming. Homecoming. Thank you. Um, from Gimlet Media. From starring Gimlet Media. Book Squad Goals favorite, Oscar Isaac. Also Catherine yeah, But not starring Oscar Isaac in... Not in season, season two, two. Only a little bit. Yeah. Um, More Oscar Isaac in season three, Gimlet. Okay? Please. That's our Do request. what you need to do. Yeah. Um, but Gabriella wrote a really great post about like women's voices in the show and how like the main female character played by Katherine Keener sort of like gains agency over the course of the show. Um, so it's a really, really good post. And check that out, too. And last but not least, next time on the podcast, that's two weeks from today, we will be talking about all the ugly and wonderful things by Bryn Greenwood. I am currently reading that. So good. And so am I. I am really enjoying it. Yeah. So hopefully you will read right along Right now, with I am really into yeah. it. Yeah. Guess yeah. what, guys? We might like a book. <laughs> let's not jinx it. Let's not talk about it yet. Let's, like, let's wait. We're going to we get into like the, to the episode, and it's just going to be like, well, we thought. I hated it. <laughs> it took a turn. Yeah. Well, yeah. So uh, please visit us on social media. Uh, we're Book Squad Goals on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Our website is booksquad.inc. Our email address is booksquadgoals at booksquad.inc. I-N-K like a squid. Do I really even have to say it anymore? Probably. Uh, if you have any feedback about this episode or past episodes, just write us anywhere you can find us and let us know. And also, please, please... Please. Rate and review. Rate and review. We love you. We love you. Hey, Ben. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Ben. No problem. Thanks, Thanks ben. for having me. Glad I could be a Susan for a day. Susan yeah, for a day. Yeah, I be Susan for a day. <laughs> Hashtag Susan for a day. Felt weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we loved having you, and we can't wait to hear you the next time you're on Ask a Man, our Ask a Man segment. Yes. So I look forward to imparting that wisdom. We wouldn't be here without it. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.